as Jay Gray mentioned earlier, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the past week, the Olympics started last week, and he gave out some cookies, but I have a gold medal just like the ones the, Olympic, the Olympians in Rio are getting. So how many of you guys want this? I mean, we, we all want it, right? But, but before you start jumping up and down and waving your arms and deciding, yeah, you desperately want that, I, I want to teach you a little bit about the gold medal itself, all right? So the 2016 Rio gold medal, this right here, it's 85 millimeters in diameter. That's 85 millimeters this way. Okay, that's the biggest gold medal ever, all right? It's 500 grams, which is about the weight of 500 paper clips. So it's pretty heavy, pretty substantial. So it's a big old medal, right? Well, I want to compare it to an older medal for you. Let's go all the way back to 1912. This is just how the gold medals have changed. All right, the 1912 Olympics were held in Stockholm, okay? I can't hear that without thinking of Stockholm Syndrome, but that has nothing to do with it. But the 1912 Olympics were held in Stockholm. That gold medal was 33 millimeters in diameter, about the size of a half dollar, okay? And it weighed a total of 24 grams. 85 millimeters, 500 grams from 2016. 1912, 33 millimeters and 24 grams. Now, who would rather have the medal from 2014? Nobody? Nobody wants this one? 2016, sorry guys, I don't know what year it is. 2016, who would rather have this one? Who would rather have the one from 1912? That's little, tiny, puny, about the size of a half dollar. Now here's some very, some other information that you really need to know in order to make this decision. The gold medals today, because they have to be, are made of six grams of actual gold. The rest is silver, making the value of a gold medal a measly $600 today. Whereas in 1912, this was the last time this happened by the way, was 100% gold and worth $25,000. All of these guys competing in Rio right now are chasing after this thing that's worth $600. That's it. They're gonna go home, hopefully having one of these around their necks, maybe just having one that's made out of silver that's worth only 550, or a bronze one that's worth 12. And that's what they're competing for. It's what they've been training for for the past four years. And let's be real. Who here can name anyone that is a fencer? Uh, no, he's a swimmer, close. Nobody, because we only ever watch fencing when it's in the Olympics. Not a fencer, but close, yeah. We only ever watch these sports once every four years. We see fencing. We love swimming, all right? Swimming is one of my favorite events in the Olympics. Michael Phelps is awesome. It's, he's ridiculously good, okay? The, the men's four by 100 event, like, 
I'm not a very energetic person. Don't show a lot of emotion. I almost stood up during that, but I watched it after it was recorded and I already knew what happened, so it wasn't as exciting. But it's that exciting, and then at the end of the Olympics, we're like, it'll happen again in four years. We'll watch more swimming then. All right, I just wanna give you a few statistics about Michael Phelps. For those of you who don't know, he won two more gold medals yesterday. All right, so he is now at 21 gold medals and 25 total medals, making him the most decorated swimmer ever, the most decorated American ever, and one of the most decorated Olympians ever. Okay, but of those 25 or 21 gold medals, 12 of them were in individual events, meaning it wasn't a team relay, it was just him in the water. 12 gold medals where he proved himself to be the best in the world at what he was doing. 12. You wanna know the last time there was an Olympian that won 12 titles? Anybody wanna throw out a guess, what year? 98, 700 AD, I'm hearing all these different things. Okay, it was actually 2,168 years ago. So it was, it was BC. Over 2,100 years ago, a guy named Leonidas of Rhodes, he was a runner, okay? And he won 12 titles, okay? He, he was a sprinter, not a swimmer, but he was the, he's the only other guy to do that. Okay, so that's, that's the tier that Michael Phelps has set himself on. This level, that is the level of eliteness that he has achieved, all right? Another guy was also an Olympic gold medalist a long time ago. He won one Olympic gold medal, just one, and he was the world champion at his sport one time also. Sugar Ray Leonard, he has this quote. Nothing could satisfy me outside the ring. There is nothing in life that can compare to becoming a world champion. Having your hand raised in that moment of glory with thousands, millions of people cheering you on. Nothing could compare to that. Both of the guys that I've talked about were at the top of their sport. They had achieved all that societies told them that they should. They had chased the gold, literally, and they'd gotten it. And yet both of those guys have openly admitted to struggling with depression. Michael Phelps going into to rehab for it. They, they've attained the gold, and yet, they're depressed. Now, I wanna talk about another guy who achieved eliteness in a little different way. All right, I wanna talk about Paul a little bit, or well, his time as Saul. Okay, for those of you who don't know, Saul was born into a Jewish family. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin, which is very elite, very important thing to happen. And well, actually, I'm just gonna read this off to you guys. I think it's on the screen behind me, or it will be anyways. Uh, it's Philippians chapter three, verses five and six. It's Paul lifting off, listing off a few of his, you know, resume points. 
He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In the eyes of a Jew, you could not be better than Saul. From the very, very first thing that a Jewish boy is told to do, all the way through his entire life, he has lived blameless. Anytime he sinned, he made the proper offering. He paid for that however he was supposed to. He lived a blameless life. But Paul learned something. Just like those other two athletes or had realized that, that reaching the top, it, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Those two other athletes suffered through depression. But Saul realized something. He realized that when we chase what feels good, we end up empty. When we chase what the world tells us to chase, we end up empty. We end up depressed. All right, now I want to read one other verse to you. Philippians 3, 7 is the next verse. So he follows up by talking about how as to righteousness under the law, he's blameless. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. So this guy who was a religious elite, who'd done all that the world told him to do, who'd done everything right that he possibly could, counted all of that as loss? Guys, he'd made it. Every single dream that his parents ever had for him, he exceeded. Every goal that his friends set and everything that every single one of them wanted to become, he'd made it. And yet he's saying, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Not, I counted as a little less important. No, I counted it as a loss. For those of you who've played sports, you probably hate losing. It's not fun. Everything that he had gained, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So I want to make, I want, I want you to think for a minute tonight. Michael Phelps is chasing gold medals. Sugar Ray Leonard was chasing a world championship. He wanted to be the champion of the world. He was pretty good. I mean, his record was 36-3-1 with 25 knockouts. Two of his three losses were his last two matches when he was 40 years or older, when he should have been retired for a long time. These guys were chasing that success. So what are you chasing? Are you chasing your parents' approval? Are you chasing your friend's approval? Are you chasing a gold medal 
like Michael Phelps. Not are you trying to get good grades. That's, that's not what I'm talking about because that is going to be indicative of something else that you're actually chasing. Whether that's you wanna be the best of your friends or whether that's your parents expect that of you so that you can go to college or maybe you have an older sibling who is really, really smart and you just feel like I can't live up to these expectations but, but this is what they're all expecting of me so this is what I've gotta do. What are you chasing? I want us to go on and read Philippians 3, 8 through 9. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He counts everything as a loss because of the worth of knowing, not of having anything. He's not saying, I count... I count it as loss because of the value of having a gold medal or even the gold medal from 1912. He says, I count it as loss because of the knowledge or because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Count them as garbage. Count them as something that, that you would throw out in the trash chute or throw out in the trash compactor and let it be mixed with all the other garbage, the dirty baby diapers, the rotten bananas. That's, the, that's how you're, you're taking all of these successes that the world told him to go after. He counts them as garbage. In order that I may gain Christ and become one with him. Everything has a loss. This isn't a, you know, God's my number one priority, but a close second is this. Everything has a loss. This was a guy who was, who was famous, not because he was a movie star, but because he killed Christians. If you go back in the book of Acts, you have Ananias who, who you know, is being led to go talk to Saul after his conversion, and he's saying, but, but I know this guy. He kills people like me. He was famous. He had what everyone wanted, and he counted it as garbage just because of the worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And this happened because he realized something really, really important. That his efforts, no matter how good he was, no matter how many sacrifices he made, no matter how many achievements he attained, no matter how many Christians he killed, everything he did would never be enough. And we see this in, in the next few verses. It says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But, but remember back to verse five and six where he said, as of the law, blameless. So if anyone 
anyone was going to have a righteousness from the law, from keeping all of the, do this, don't do that. You can do that sometimes, but, but don't ever do that. If there's anyone who was going to have a righteousness because of that, it was gonna be this guy. But he's saying, even that hasn't brought me righteousness. He says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God which depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That by any means possible, everything I do is just to be with him. Everything I do is just to have a relationship with him. Everything I do is so that I can know him more, so that I can serve him. All those other successes, remember, they're garbage. And it's not like, you know, he's sitting here and you're thinking, well, yeah, but I can still, I can envision it. You know, it'll be so great once I get there. No, he was there, was garbage. Everything he did was just to be with Christ, just to serve him. Remember how we talked about when we chase what feels good, we end up empty? The second point to that is when we chase what is good, we end up overflowing. Because all of those successes and all those things of, of the world that, that Saul attained, all of those things were what felt good. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we all like being told we're good at something. It feels good. It's nice when someone compliments you, whether it's on your looks or your abilities or, or, or whatever it's on, it's nice. We like being told that we're good at something. We like being the best at something, even if no one tells us. It feels good. But when we chase what feels good, we end up empty. But when we chase what is good, we end up overflowing. And what is good, as Paul shows us, is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want you to bow your heads right where you're at. For some of us, we, we're chasing. We want something and we're still searching and we're still looking and we're still trying to figure out how do we fit in? How do I fit in? What is it that I'm good at, that I can excel at, that I can be the best at so that I can make my parents happy? What is it that I can be the best at out of my group of friends because, you know, she's good at this and, and he's the best at this and what can I be the best at? But when we get there, we'll learn that, that when we chase what feels good, we end up empty. 
And I wanna give you this opportunity to start chasing what is good, to start chasing what will actually fulfill you, what will actually make you overflow, and what won't leave you empty. And so if you wanna start that relationship, I, I just want you to pray after me. It's not magical. I just want you to say these words in your heart to God. I just say, God, I am tired of chasing after what everyone else around me tells me is important. God, I'm tired of, of, of achieving one goal only to realize that there's another that follows and another after that. And that God, I'm, I keep coming up empty even when I succeed, I'm empty. And God, I know that only you can fill that void. And I want you to do that. God, I want that relationship with you that only comes through your son, Jesus. God, I, I surrender all of my, my chasing of, of good feelings. I surrender all of my, my, my desires, Lord, and I want to chase after you. Everything I do, is to know you.